absolutely amazing what God has made available to us in so many different ways. Thank you for your prayers last Sunday. That's the first Easter Sunday. I haven't been here in 46 years. That's the first one I've missed. And I was out at the Heritage Baptist Church in Antioch with those wonderful people there. Uh, it is a smaller congregation than ours, but it is, they've been without a pastor now for at least three months. And they have two, two lay folk that are just filling in and, and keeping things going there. They called me up and they said, could you come for Easter Sunday? And I said, well, I'll talk with my pastor and I'll find out if that's okay. And he said it was okay because you had a preacher lined up. You had a good service here on Sunday morning. We had a wonderful service. And so uh, anyway, um, I got to preach for 50 minutes. In fact, I had them stand up in the middle of the sermon so they wouldn't go to sleep on me. But we had a good service. There were visiting families, new families visiting, and it was just an encouraging day for all of them. And so thank you for the privilege of going there. Um, I went online this week and I found a folding preaching chair. So, so I've got a folding chair like this one that I can put in the back of my car. Yeah, I hope it fits. I, see, I don't know, and I don't know how comfortable it will be. Uh, but it, the, the reviews say it's sturdy, and so I can do a lot of stuff without falling over. And uh, so I plan to take that with me when I go. One of our dear pastor friends uh, up in Locksburg is having knee surgery. And so he's, uh, their church, is, he's, he's not going to be able to preach for a couple of weeks, so I plan to go there. In uh, about three weeks, four weeks, I plan to be up there in Larkspur with them. I plan to be out in Elmira, which is uh, near Vacaville, which is near Fairfield. And I uh, plan to be there two weeks from today, I think. Um, there's a young pastor there uh, who uh, is doing just a tremendous job. They started a building program, which is rare in this day and age. Started a building program. What's that fellow's name again? Scott Dean, Scott Dean, and, and uh, started a building program because they needed a, a new auditorium, but it's pay as you go. So they put the concrete in, had that paid for, put the, put the uh, framing up, had that paid for, uh, started uh, with, with other things and had everything paid for. And then out of the blue, and I don't know how this happened, but somebody gave them a grant of $350,000 to complete their facility. Now, where would they be if they haven't started, hadn't started by faith and made the sacrifice that God wanted them to make? So let me say, when you look at our deficit here, $30,000, okay, when you look at that, you say, now look, we've got to pray our way through this because if we pray our way through this, God will give us more. God blesses those who do what they need to do by faith. It takes faith to do this stuff. And I've been praying that God will give me a significant sum that I might add to contribute in these days to this need. So you pray with me, and God is good. But $350,000 God gave to them. And I don't know if I get to preach in that new auditorium or not. I don't know if they're going to have it done or I have to preach in the little one, the old one. Uh, but it won't matter. We'll have a good time. And And... I, I just decided as a result of that service, Pastor Dean said to me, he said, he said, you know, you've challenged preachers to study the great salvation words of the New Testament, the great salvation documents of the New Testament. I want you to come up and will you preach, will you preach one or two of those up at, my, up at my church? I said, well, certainly I will. And then I got into that and I said, well, we need to do more of that in our church. So, so we're on topic today because of that, if you please. Now, we, we sang, my hope is built on nothing less than living a good life and succeeding and not sinning and meeting the church requirements. Now, I'm telling you how people think. That's the way that hymn would be sung for most people, yes or no. Jesus' blood and righteousness. Dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless I will stand before the throne. Now, 
I spent two sermons on a, on a subject of a big word that you normally don't ever use. And since I've forgotten what it is, you're going to have to help me so I can go on in my sermon. Propitiation. And what does propitiation mean? Because we're going to talk about confession of sin, but you're going to be on a guilt trip the rest of your life if, if you think there's some of your sins are hidden in the closet or under the rug. If you've got any sin in your life that you ever commit that's not fully paid for, you are in trouble with God. Propitiation means that 99.9% of our sins are paid for. Give me the figure. But 100% of our sins are 90% paid for. 100% paid for. And so the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was infinite. It, it is without measure. You can't stuff enough sins into it to overload it. You just can't do that. His death availed for the sins of all mankind in all human history. And all of the sin debt of all of this mankind was covered in his death on the cross. You want to know how angry God is at your sin? Just see what happened to Jesus on the cross. That's the anger, the wrath of God poured out for my sins and your sins on his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay? So it's done. It's paid for. And it's paid for. Now that's the past sins, right? The present sins. The future sins. And when he died, we hadn't been born, correct? All of our sins were future. All right. So... Propitiation is the foundation for the sermon, first of all, on salvation. How can you know you're saved if, you, if, if, if all of your sins are not paid for? Our Catholic friends are going, doing the sacraments of the church in order to add to the good works of Jesus, hoping that it will be enough to get them out of purgatory and into heaven. That's sad. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So, propitiation is the foundation of salvation. Now, we're going to be talking about confession of sin, and let me say very clearly, no one has ever been saved by confessing their sins. Now, does that sound strange? No one has ever been saved by confessing their sins. We are saved by receiving Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, expressed by receiving him as our Savior and Lord. He is our salvation, and if we don't have him, we are not saved. And his saving us is on the basis of his propitiation. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by receiving Jesus Christ, by calling on the name of the Lord to save you through the person of Christ. He that has the Son, 1 John 5, has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He didn't say the one confesses his sin will go to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come unto the Father by confessing. That's not how you establish a birth relationship with God. All right? Whosoever believeth into him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we have a lot of folks that think if they confess their sins to God, and I hear this on some TV preachers, they, 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 I'm confessing my sins. No, no. You can confess you're a sinner. That was, that was the man who... Uh, uh, the, the publican, the tax collector, who, who went to God, Lord, be merciful, be propitiated to me, the sinner. I'm the sinner. And so, so confession of sin does not save you. Confession of sin has to do with your fellowship with God after you are saved. All right? So we'll see how far we get with this. Now, let me... Let me have I got your attention? I need your attention. 
When you're saved, you cannot have assurance of salvation unless your faith and hope are completely in Christ. After you are saved, unexpectedly, because most of us, I thought when I received Christ, the sin thing was over, and I was going to be able to do everything right. Did you think that? Most of you did. I'm a Christian now. The sin problem's over. And then, I mean, we really have a bad day. And at the end of that day, am I really a Christian? Do Christians do things like this? I remember Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say there isn't any sin in the book that a Christian cannot commit under uh, under the proper provocation. And it's right. He was right. So many Christians then because they sin and they don't understand propitiation because confession of sin and propitiation go together. We'll read the text. Okay? But many Christians are on a guilt trip because of their failures and weaknesses and because of their sins. And when you are on a guilt trip, I promise you there is no joy, no genuine joy. Genuine joy does not come from living a perfect life every day, every week. It comes from resting in the work of Christ on the cross and knowing that it is totally sufficient for every need. If you have a guilt trip, you have no rest in your heart. Your heart is not at rest. It's a turmoil. There's no peace. There's no assurance. There's no boldness. Our prayer life shuts down. Our Bible reading shuts down. There's no spiritual power in our lives. If you don't have confidence, you have no spiritual power. Let us come how to let us come therefore timidly before the throne of grace. But that's hard to do when you really blow it. That's hard to do. That's difficult to do. So we'll see how far we get today with the text that we have here. We're going to go into 1 John. 1 John is a marvelous book. And one of the one of the key words, the word love occurs time and time again. It, it's one of the key words. But one of the key words in 1 John, look this way for just a moment, then we'll get to the text. One of the key words is the word fellowship. And the problem that we have with that, with that concept is that we think that we fellowship with God by having a devotion time during the day. Well, that's true. You ought to have time you spend alone with God, shouldn't you? That'll change your life. That takes care of a lot of problems in the Christian life, and that is a time of fellowship with God. But fellowship with God is more than having devotions. Fellowship with God is having everything in your life. Back up on that. Having everything in life in common with God, in a common partnership with God. Now, this series on Wednesday night is totally misperceived by Christians. He said, You are in the ministry. And you really are. Every part of your Christian life needs to be lived in partnership with God. Your marriage is ministry, dear dear people. Child rearing is ministry. Taking care of your neighbors is ministry. What you do at work is not a job, it's ministry. 100% of life should be lived with a partnership with God. Taking a vacation. That ought to be done in partnership with God. You need it. Everything you can legitimately do in life needs to be ministry. And it needs to be fellowship. 
partnership with God. And you stop and think about that. It doesn't matter my background. It doesn't matter where I've been or who I am or from where I've come. I, you talk about dignity. Who's your business partner? God is. Who's your life partner? God is. I'm living my life in the will of God in partnership with God. Every dynamic and dimension of my life is lived under the enabling ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not going to work tomorrow. I'm going to my ministry tomorrow. Fellowship is partnership with God. It's a lot more than praying and reading the Bible. Am I coming through? Shake your head. Am I coming through? Fellowship is more than reading your Bible and praying. Fellowship is a common purpose, a a common activity. It's a common life that's lived using not the gift God gave to somebody else. Forget what somebody else has. Did I tell you about the couple that was out dating? She, he looked at her and he said, you, you sure look beautiful. She said, do you really mean that? He says, most certainly I mean that. He said, you know, you're so beautiful, I wish I had, I had all the eyes in the world just to look at you. She said, wow, do you really mean that? Oh, yes, I mean that. I really mean that. You know, your, your voice is so beautiful. I wish I had all the ears in the world to, to, to uh, listen to you. She said, you really mean that? She said, why, sure I mean that. I mean that completely. He said, your lips are so beautiful. I wish I had all the lips in the world to kiss you with. She looked at him and she said, you fool, use the ones you got. <laughs> now the problem is when we look at gifts, we're not willing to use the ones we got. We want to use the ones somebody else has got. Take that list home with you and do some evaluating, some thinking. It'll be a blessing to you. You've got to use the one you got. So we're talking about fellowship. How do you maintain a partnership with God? Now, when you get saved, you're out totally out of it with God. You're, you're dead to God and you're alive to sin. And the first thing you have to come to is this. Is God right or am I right? And you'll never get saved unless you, unless you realize I'm wrong and God is right. That's called repentance. You line up with God and you you determine you're going to settle life's issues on God's terms and not yours. That's repentance. Genuine repentance. You you, you resolve the issues of life on God's terms, not yours. Okay? So there's there's an attitude of repentance in confession and we'll find that out as we go along. So having said these things, Let's read our text, and let's read the second paragraph at the top there from the New American Standard. This is the message we heard from him and announced to you that God is what? God is what? Light. And in him there's just a little bit of darkness. No darkness at all. Okay, there's no, you can't cut corners here. Now, notice the ifs here. Verse 6, if. Verse 7, if. Verse 8, if, verse 9, if, verse uh, 2, verse 1 of chapter 2, if, 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 okay? All right, let's read them. Verse number 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, all right, we are in a common enterprise with God. We're in a partnership with God. And yet we are walking in the darkness. Is that possible to be in partnership with God and in partnership with the devil at the same time? Not really. You can't have two partnerships going on in your life. You can't have a partnership with the world and a partnership with God at the same time. Not, not if you're in a genuine partnership with God. You assume his attitudes, his posture, his positions, his ways, his works. You assume all of these things because you're in business together. 
with God in your life. Your life is a business partnership. It's a spiritual partnership with God. Yes? Okay. So, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, that can go either way. One with, with other believers or with God. We have a partnership with fellow believers. We have a partnership with God. Either way, you want to interpret that. It, it works itself out. Notice now, this, this, is, this, is, this is startling, okay? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some sin. But, 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 but wait a minute now. Did you look at that verse carefully? If you're being cleansed from sin, are you sinning? Help me. Are we walking in the darkness or are we walking in the light? We're walking in the light and at the same time do we have need of cleansing? What does it say? What's happening when we're walking in the light? Something is happening. It's a process. It's the Greek present tense. It's something that's continually going on. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is continuously cleansing us from all sin. We are walking in the light. We are experiencing cleansing. And that means the problem of sin is being dealt with. But there is sin to deal with. Most people don't look at that verse carefully. This is a believer walking in the light. And he is being cleansed from sin. You can't be cleansed from sin if there's no sin in your life. Help me. Huh? There's a process of cleansing that's going on. And if there's a process of cleansing later on, we're going to find out there's a process of confession that's continually going on in our lives. There is not one exception to this verse. Not one exception. There is no believer who does not continually need cleansing. Would you agree with that? But you'll notice, if, if he wasn't experiencing these clean, this cleansing, he'd be walking in the darkness. Because you, when you walk in the light, you end up doing the right thing. Huh? Walking in the light has an impact in your life, yes or no? You're walking in the light and you're continually being cleansed from all sin. Not some sin, all sin. Underline that, underline that, bold that, put it in caps, shout it, scream it. There's no joy if you don't know this. There's no assurance, there's no boldness, there's no confidence. I'm preaching today, and my life is not perfect, and my week hasn't been perfect. But one thing has happened. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me. And that gives me confidence to serve God. Not in my own goodness, but in his righteousness. Yes or no? How do we live? How do we pray in our lives? How do we do this? Okay. So we read on, verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, that's in the present. We, now the we here, by the way, when you read the whole book, you, 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 read, the, you, you read the first part of chapter 1. This is written to believers. This is not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers. Okay? Alright, verse 8. If we believers say that in the present we have no sin... We're self-deceived. We are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. No believer can claim never to sin. Somebody said, is it, is it possible to live in sinless perfection? The answer is absolutely not. Not according to this. 
According to this, if you make that claim, the truth is not in you. Verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. That word righteous means right. What's the opposite of right? Wrong. He is faithful and righteous. He's faithful and right to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. Again to believers. If we believers say that we have not sinned, that's in the past, we make him what? A liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is no justification for sinning. This is nothing to encourage you to sin. This is to encourage you not to sin. If anyone sins, there's another if. We have an advocate. We have a defense attorney with the Father who is Jesus Christ the compromiser. You're not reading along. Jesus Christ the what? The righteous one. He does this completely according to God's standard of what's right. Okay? We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous one and he himself is the what? propitiation, the full satisfaction, the full, eternal, infinite satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, that does not say the elect. That says the whole world. So, we have some differing with some people that try to limit the atonement of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, having done this, the text we're going to zeal in, we're going to zero in on is 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, clean us from all unrighteousness. Now we're going to get the context. Follow this through. Because we, we want to make sure as we deal with this that we understand it properly in the context in which John gives it here. Verses 1 through 5, that which we have seen and heard, our hands have handled, we are giving you accurate, truthful, historical background information. Verse number 2, my little children, that means birthed ones, born ones, that goes back to John's gospel. Uh, as many as received him to them, he gave authority, power to become the birthed ones, the children, the born ones of God. You must be born again. How do you do it? Receiving by receiving Christ. My little children, my little birthed ones. Look this way for just a moment. Let's, 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 time, let's take time to check this out. Let's take time. Are, do you know? And, and it's, it's absolutely... How many of you know the date of your birth? Most of you do. You may not. Sometimes the record was not kept. How many of you know for sure you were born? <laughs> Little fellow was in, in his class and uh, the, the uh, teacher was asking who the, who the moms and dads were and little fellow said, I, 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 he said, I wasn't born. I had a stepmother. Well, I hope spiritually you don't have a stepmother. (laughs) There needs to be a day and a time you know when you were birthed into the kingdom of God. And with some of you, the experience with all of us was totally different because we're just made differently, all of us. But, But do you know the time, the day? I don't mean the date, but I mean, do you know the day? Young or old, do you know the day and time? And the circumstances under under which you were birthed into the kingdom of God. And if you don't, please today, don't leave here without turning to God and say, I don't know that, I've got to know that, I'm taking care of that today. 
I spent hours and hour or two in the parlor years ago with a dear lady. She was Methodist, and she gave me, told me what had happened in her life, and, and I was just about, I was totally convinced that she had genuinely received Christ as her Savior, but she was not. She was not. She had no assurance. And I said, now look, sounds to me like you're saved, but you'd better be sure about that, so let's pray. And she bowed and prayed and said, oh God, I don't know, but if I, if I need to be saved, I receive Jesus Christ right here and now. Let's get that settled. And she went away rejoicing. So if there's any question in your mind, there's a way to settle it. There's a way to settle it. If there's any doubt, there's a way to settle it. Okay? My little children, my little born ones, then again, number two, I've just covered this. We are not saved by confessing our sins. We are saved, born again by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord by faith in the promise of his word. Now, John's purpose, according to what we just read in that second chapter in the first verse, is to combat sin and not condone it. And what is written here presupposes the great truth of propitiation. Page number two, in general, the book of 1 John deals with the problem of people who had a very inadequate, even false view of sin. Doctrinal deviation, sin is not sin, you don't have to worry about it, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, it was just an apparition. And the doctrinal deviation resulted in a moral deviation that always does. If your doctrine's wrong, your morals will be wrong. When doctrine goes out the back door of the church, so do the morals. Hear me. Compromise means defeat in due season. Okay? Secondly, we have a new life in Christ Jesus, and that new life is eternal life. And from this life in Christ, there springs or results in a threefold fellowship with us, that's with man to man, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a threefold fellowship or partnership that comes. Relationship, that's new birth comes first, then fellowship comes within that relationship. Look this way for just a moment. My last name is Ennis. My relationship to my mother and dad is not a conduct relationship. I did not come into this world by good works. I came in this world by a process of being born into this world. You're born into the kingdom of God. You don't work your way in. My relationship with my family has never been a works relationship in total. I've always been an Ennis. It doesn't matter how I behaved. If I robbed banks, my, my last name is still Ennis. I'm still the son of my mother and my father. I have a birth relationship with them that cannot, that cannot, that cannot cease. It just can't. It will never end. It's not a conduct relationship. But within that relationship, there is a fellowship. And I can never lose the relationship, but I sure can lose the fellowship. Okay? Our relationship with God, we can never lose. We can never be unborn spiritually any more than we can be unborn physically. But within that new birth relationship, there is a fellowship that can be broken. Okay? So we don't lose our salvation, we lose our fellowship within that relationship. Now, relationship then comes first, and then fellowship. This is point number three. The word fellowship comes from a Greek word which means common, to do together, to hold together a joint participant in something common, a partnership. I like the word partnership. The ultimate result of all of this is joy made complete, if you'll study that text. Fellowship, partnership with God brings us into the light. That's the fifth verse, and we started there. This is the message we've heard from him. I've announced to you that God is light, and in him there is just a little bit of darkness. No, there is no compromise. There is not one single bit of evil or wickedness or darkness in God. Fellowship or partnership with God brings us into the light. When it talks about light, physically, to my eyes, it's splendor and glory. Intellectually, the light is truth. 
It's reality and morally it's holiness or integrity. Darkness is the exact opposite as we read of it in this epistle and in the word of God. And in him literally there is not one bit of darkness. It's not just no darkness. It's emphatic, not one bit of darkness. No affinity, no association, no compromise, no identification with darkness or sin with God, period. And then we have the main issues we'll look, we'll look at here. There's seven true statements that are conditional, if, 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 predicated on personal choices and behaviors. Now, fellowship is predicated on my choices and my behavior. My salvation is not. Not of works, lest any man should boast. My fellowship is fragile. My salvation is not. All right? So, number one, here's one of the conditional things. There is a denial and embracing of personal sin. In verse number six, a denial of the significance and consequence of sin. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We are not doing the truth. This person says sin is not inconsistent with fellowship with God and partnership with God, but he is lying. He is saying to walk in the darkness then is to live deliberately in the very sphere of error and sin. And he says you can do this and have fellowship. No, no. And denying this means we lie and we practice falsehood. Now, hear me. You are not a Christian because you don't sin. You are a Christian because you have Christ. May I repeat? You are not a Christian because you live a sinless life. You are not a Christian predicated on your choices and behaviors. You're a Christian because you've been birthed supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of God into, into the kingdom of God in a new birth. But when you say that sin is not inconsistent with walking in partnership with God and agreement in partnership with God, uh, that's absolutely wrong. That's absolutely wrong. We lie and we practice falsehood. Verse number, page number three, top of the page. The danger of walking in the darkness. The danger of walking in the darkness as a believer. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth, knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness is done what? What has the darkness done? What happens to a believer that, that entertains and embraces sin in his life? What happens to him? He ends up, he ends up in darkness, not knowing where he is going. Have you ever watched somebody make a foolish, sinful choice in their life and they had no sense of the fact they were in danger? Why, why, why do we from the pulpit warn people about immorality and wickedness and, and, and some of the practices of the culture in which we live? Why do we warn people? Because those things are blinding and they are binding. They're both blinding and they're binding. He doesn't have any sense of the danger he's living in. And as pastors, that's one of the greatest griefs that we have as we watch people make foolish decisions. But it's worse than making a foolish decision is to justify it and continue it. And continue it. So there's a consequence to walking in darkness. This verse number six is a, uh, or secondly, we have in verse number eight, a denial of the principle of sin and responsibility for it. Our depraved nature, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Hear me, this is hard for me to get through to you on this thing. My partnership with God does not depend on a flawless Christian life. And it does not depend on, uh, on having freedom from having spiritual battles in my life. You can, there isn't any believer that does not have a spiritual battlefront in his life. 
Hear me. Am I right or am I wrong? Help me. And just because you don't know the battlefront of the person sitting next to you does not mean he doesn't have one. So, so does that disqualify me from walking in partnership with God? Only if I persist in it willfully. Then it begins to have an effect. And at the bottom line, these things I do are really my choice. The devil does not make me do them. So, here, we, in verse number 8, the sinner is not sinful. Whatever the sinner does to, or desires to do is not sinful. That's wrong. We des- that's self-deception. It's a denial of truth. Twofold consequence, we're deceiving ourselves or leading ourselves astray, and the truth has no place or power in us. Okay? Now, in verse number 10, if we say that we have not sinned, that's in the past. We make him a liar. His word is not in us. Well, that, that means that sin is really not sin. This is a denial of having committed sins in the past, which carry present consequences. And a twofold consequence of this denial is we accuse God of dealing falsely with men. We make him a liar. We deny and disregard the truth of divine revelation. What is the expectation of God? I thought, thought during that message this morning. I saw that word covenant. God was willing to make eternal commitment and promise to people he knew would have a problem keeping their end of the bargain. He's an amazing God. He eternally commits himself by covenant to Israel. And it doesn't matter what they do and where they go, that promise is valid and it's in effect. God's promise of salvation is his covenant with sinners who will trust Jesus Christ and in repentance of sin come to him and receive him. God never deals falsely with men. Men deal falsely with God, but God never deals falsely with men. Never, never, never. Awake! He that hath the Son hath Life. True or false? Depends on whether I live the Christian life this week. Yes or no? If I don't live the Christian life, that's not true. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He who has the Son has what? Who says so? God knows what he's talking about. Does he know that we're going to sin? Does he know we're going to sin? Why did he make all of this provision for us? Why did he tell us in black and white, you are trying to, you are trying to merit God's favor, you're trying to maintain your partnership with God by living up to God's standards, and you're never going to do it. We're walking in the light. We're being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Continually cleansed from all sin. Propitiation. This is a hard lesson to learn. Because we end up going by our feelings instead of God's word and God's promises. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, whoever he may be, will be saved. True or false? What is the only condition to receiving that blessing? Everyone who lives the Christian life will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth Jesus as your Lord, will be saved. Who says so? Does God know what he's talking about? Does he know that everybody he saves is going to sin? Does he know that? 
Come on, yes or no? Does he know that? So, God does not deal falsely with men. Every believer sins. Everybody who is walking in the light, and by the way, you walk in the light and that reveals to you your sin. And what happens when your sin is revealed and you're walking in the light? This is next Sunday. We're going to come to verse 9 next Sunday. There's confession of sin. That's the automatic response of a believer who knows what God's provision is for him in this, this partnership that God wants to have with us. I want you once again, if you will, I want you to, this, this is, whose word is this? It's God's word. I want you to look again, if you will. Take, take the first page, go back to the first page. First page on the second paragraph there. Which begins, this is the message we've heard from him. This is, we got it from him. Okay? We got this from Jesus. We announce it to you, God's light in him. There's no darkness if we say have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness. We lie, do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, is doing what? Cleansing from how much sin? All sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is operational in the life of every believer continuously. Because as we walk in the light, as we walk in the light, we're brought to a confession of sin. Let me just reiterate this. I need to say it time and time again. You and I are constantly... Wait a minute. Can I speak for you on this? Maybe I'm the only one that lives this, at this address. As you grow in the Lord and as you walk in the light, there's something that happens to you. You become amazed at how wicked you really are. Yes or no? You live at that address. You become amazed at how wicked you really are. And then you get this phony idea that God is just now discovering how bad you are and he's going to be mad and he's going to, he's going to renege on his deal of saving you. He didn't know how bad, what, he didn't know what he was getting into. He didn't know what keeping his part of the deal was going to amount to. Somebody so bad... No, no, no. God, God knows more about how bad we are than we will ever discover. Hear me. Is that true or isn't it? That's true. God knows more about how bad we are than we will ever discover. His covenant is not based on our performance in the Christian life. It's based on our walking in the light, our confession of sin, and our choosing to be in partnership with God in every dynamic, every dimension of our life. And let me share this again. The closer you get to God, really, the less you sin. I write these things to you so you might not sin. But the truth is, as you walk with God, you sin less. You don't sin more. But the closer you get to God, the less you sin, but the more you realize how sinful you really are. And that can make it look like you're going backwards and not forward in your Christian growth. That can be very discouraging. Huh? It surely can. So, come back next Sunday. Let me try to finish the sermon next Sunday, okay? We're going to come to what, what really, most believers don't have a clue as to what confession of sin really is. We'll come to the subject of confession of sin and let me encourage you, come Wednesday night, if you can't come Wednesday night, pick that list up there and, and, and join us online on Wednesday night. 
and learn about you and your ministry. And go home to ministry. Go to work to ministry. Minister to your employer. You're supposed to make him money or her money. Minister to your fellow workers, even the mean and nasty ones. Minister the grace of God everywhere you go. Minister at the gas station. Minister everywhere you go your whole life. Minister to your body when you go to sleep. And you can ask God to bless that then. Okay? Just make every part of your life ministry. And don't use somebody else's gifts. Use your own. You big fool, use the lips you got. Use what you got. And don't worry about what you don't got. Stand together, please. Are you up to it? He's not up to it. Lloyd, come on up. Come on up. All right, let's pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not here to inspect your life from this past week. I simply want to know, are you walking in the light? Are you confessing your sin? And is the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleansing you? Because as you walk with God, there are things you need to deal with in your life. And you want to deal with them on God's terms. And you do. I'm not asking you how bad your battle is. I'm asking you, are you on God's side? And that's the key of confession. It puts you on God's side of every issue in your life. Including the wrong side of the battle, including the wrong side of sin. It puts you on God's side of everything in your life. That's what confession does. And are you living there? And if you're not, just talk to God right now. Cry out and say, God, look. I want to I live in a partnership with you. And you know all of these things and flaws and things going on in my life. But I pray that the work of the cross will destroy these things out of my life. I want to be on your side of every issue in my life. I love you and I thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the propitiation for my sins. Heavenly Father, in a very wonderful way, encourage our hearts. Strengthen us in our walk with God. And in this coming week, by the Holy Spirit of God, fill us for ministry in everything we do. Whether it's riding the bus, driving down the freeway, doesn't matter what it is, may our life be total ministry everywhere we go. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. There is listed a hymn that I think would be good for us to sing. Let me find it here. Hymn number 395. Hymn number 395. May I ask you what happens when we do not stand on the promises? We lose our joy. We lose our assurance. Where do we get our certainty? Where do we get our assurance? Where do we get our confidence? It's the promises of God.